Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello! Listen, you smell something? Put that cookie down! Hello and welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. I'm John Star. We're filmmakers, we're fans, and we're fanboying this week. We've got guest Zane C. Weber on once more. Just plain old guest. You Zane asked C. Weber. to be plain old guest. I would have said special guest every <laughs> single time, but you didn't want to be special anymore. No, I'm not special. Just, like, just Ryan like everyone Gosling, else. Just like Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner 2049, you are not special. You are not the chosen one. I wish I was Ryan Gosling in the 2049. I wish I was. I mean, I feel like that world would be a bit hard to live in. Just not very enjoyable. Very bleak. Well, really, he's a, very well lit. He's a robot, but, so you know, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, we're talking about our favorite directors this week. Um, but, but as usual, before we will ask the question, what have you been watching? And Zane, what have you been watching this week? I've been rewatching the US version of The Office. I am I in the middle of that as well. It is my favorite show of all time. And it's been just long enough that I'm not sick of it to rewatch it. So yeah, that's that's it's, pretty much what I've. Where been are you up to at the moment? Doing. Season six. Oh Jesus, you're f- further than me. I'm only on season five. Oh yeah, Shane. When I watch something, I don't <laughs> half watch it. I, I watch I'm watching all like of a it. million things at once and trying to maintain a wider breadth of shows. It's so hard. I love How the fact it's got you. nothing to do with relationships or friendships or oh, anything. Oh, got me? Ha! <laughs> no, it's got nothing to do with that. And as far as friendship go, whenever you and I hang out, it's usually it's to watch a movie. movies, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what you do. You just And so if I ever get into a relationship, I'm just going to like segue it into just permanently watching shows and movies. I also <laughs> watched Rampage. Oh, okay, hold up. Well, which Rampage are we talking? Are we talking Uwe Boll Rampage that has nothing to do with video games? Or are we talking video game Rampage? You're talking that the, has nothing the, to do with the Uwe Rock Ball. one? Did you go to the cinema to watch this? Yes. Wait, Wait is it still out in cinemas? Yeah, oh, I could briefly probably. It was since the last, well, not since the last episode, but before that, yes. <laughs> in I, the last 10 minutes, you saw Rampage. <laughs> yes, I've, I was thinking of the ones that I've gone to the movies to see and we, I spoke about Ocean's 8. And and solo, but I also saw Rampage. Is it any yeah. good? Uh, no, no. It's no. So you're gonna Is see it... skyscraper when it comes out? <laughs> no, uh, no. I don't. Even the Rock's not very entertaining in it. The oh, Ape what? is more entertaining than the Rock. You can't beat an Ape. That's uh, that's that's like it's the law. comedy fact. <laughs> law, you can't beat the Apes. Uh, a it's a hate crime. Species. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, like again, like I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of The Rock. I'm going to put that out there. No, he's very funny, but I don't like, find him funny. Given he's just he's falling into that. I'm just in this movie. Right. But do you know what's going to happen in about two, in about three to five years? He's going to try for the Oscar. 
I can't see that. That's gonna be great. And no, no, he's gonna do a biopic. And then usually they'll might get nominated if they get like a lot of makeup, they'll get the, the biopic nomination. But then if they don't win that, then they'll do some like horrible dark crime movie, but that's directed by like a really artistic director or something like that. There's a whole formula. I want to know thing. what biopic could star Dwayne the Rock Johnson. There's very few. A wrestler maybe, biopic. Maybe. He's gonna do the wrestler. He's gonna do something along the lines of the wrestler. Or guaranteed something to do with the the royalty of Hawaii. Oh yeah, because that that's yeah. a pretty tragic story. Mm. Oh really? Oh, that would be good actually. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm invested. Let's see this. The Rock. Gen- All right, Dwayne, <laughs> give right, me a call. I'll write you a write you a screenplay. The first one I've ever done. <laughs> Go for the Oscar. I uh, do want to know how many ex wrestlers have been nominated for Oscars before. Absolutely none of them. I don't think any of them. Come on, Dwayne. Not for best actor. No, but none of them have made as much financial success as The Rock either. Because yeah. um, Schwarzenegger was never an actor. Uh, no, he was a bodybuilder. So, Chance, what have you been watching? Uh, so, I've been watching Kimmy Schmidt season four. Yeah. Uh, and just plowing through that. Um, and also the. Um, You've been plowing Kimmy Schmidt. I've been plowing Kimmy Schmidt. It's my redhead thing. Uh, <laughs> and also the um, Parks and Rec. Oh, yes. Uh, we're Fuck, we're taking it slower with that one because we like know we're coming towards the end. So we're like, Where are you oh. up to? I'm on season five and I, oh, I've i stopped about halfway through. I caught honestly up in a while Because I'm watching it with my sister and my sisters and I haven't had our schedules match up in a while. Yeah. So Have you heard that they're all willing to come back for a re- Uniting. If they do, they need to be put down. <laughs> it's like hearing about the 30 Rock reboot. Stop. Not every show, especially ones that ran for six years already, need to come back for more. Especially since it hasn't been that long. It's yeah. only been like, what, five, ten years? Because they've, you know why? It's because they've ran out of the 80s shows that people True. remember because <laughs> everyone else is, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, but then they're worried that someone in the wouldn't that be funny if like someone in the Parks and Rec reboot then said something horribly racist and it got canned in the middle of this? Ah, oh, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> that'd be funny. That'd be funny. And that, yeah, I'm. I feel like I watched something else, but I can't remember what. Okay, so I'll just interrupt you if I remember it. Okay. Well, I have been watching, and you forget again. You're going to say, "What have you been watching?" To me, what are you? Uh, <laughs> fuck you, Shane. God damn it. Well. In prep for tonight, we are going to see Ocean's 8. I watched Ocean's 11, 12, and 13. I fucking love those movies. I'd all only, three. I'd only seen um, 11 all the way through once a very long time ago. I'd seen bits and pieces of 12, and I'd never seen any of 13. I'm um, shocked. I went back, and I like Ocean's 1 quite a bit. I like Ocean's 12. I fucking love Ocean's 13. Mm. Uh, the visual style on those movies is so good. Good. The way he'll go about any one scene is just like, so for example, in Ocean's 13, there's the scene where Al Pacino's reading the, the letter from his assistant and she's like, I got this for you, da-da, and it's like this flowing letter and he rips it up and the voiceover stops. Yeah. Little decisions. There's just these, I, I think, you know, we're going to talk about this a little later, but I think Steven Soderbergh might be the most, not the, the greatest filmmaker ever, but he's one of the most interesting filmmakers. Yeah, he has, His career spans so much different sort of stuff. And so after watching these movies, I really want to go back and watch everything he's done. Yeah. Because I, I still haven't seen sort of the two iconic ones that I haven't seen, um, Sex, Lies and Videotape mm. and uh, Out of Sight are the two ones that he's, that are considered his sort of some of his best work. And I haven't seen those two. And I've seen, I've seen like Traffic and I've seen a couple of this. And I want to rewatch The Nick 
as well. Not rewatch, sorry, watch the Nick. I saw a couple of episodes. It was good, but God, it's so hard to watch. It was just, do you know about this? No. It's set in like at the turn, it's like just pre-anesthetic medical world. Right. And it's just got brutally realistic medical procedures. Excellent. With a with a, a doctor played by Clive Owen who's like a heroin addict who like injects between his toes and it is they do like a cesarean. The opening scene of the first episode is like oh, a cesarean and it and the woman dies, the baby dies. It's graphic as fuck. But it's really, really good and apparently it gets even better as it goes on. Cool. Um, even better, you say. <laughs> yes, even better. Um, but, yeah, I actually really – and I think Ocean 13 is the most fun and it's the most – there's the most clarity of what they're doing. Yeah, in, definitely. In and it's they kind of set out to do the heist, they perform the heist, and and they succeed. Whereas Ocean's Eleven relies on we didn't tell you this thing, and even Ocean's Twelve partly relies on we didn't tell you this thing that yeah. we did. In the meantime, although Ocean's Twelve felt a little more together, really. See, I do not like Twelve. I love. Do you 11. hate the gag where Julia Roberts them. pretends to be That's Julia Roberts? My favorite part of the film. <laughs> that is such a good. I was just yeah. going. I'm like, are they committing to? The, they're committing, and then Bruce Willis is in it, and they're talking about the sixth sense. And I was just like. For real, they did this. <laughs> Who sat there and wrote that into the script? I was like, let's do this. I I liked it. I liked it. Um, but then I've been watching more of Inside Number Nine. Yeah, you inspired me to watch more of that. You're welcome. Star. Uh, I watched the the Macbeth episode. Yes, which, is, which AKA was the Red Curtain Hell episode, where it's literally like they're backstage during the Macbeth performance and the understudy. It's basically like the backstage story starts mimicking the on play story, and I was like, God damn it. I <laughs> want this. Um, and then I watched the one about the um, the famous singer and his last breath. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a dark as fuck. It was so good. Have you seen this show? I have not. It- you would like it a lot because they're just very, this half hour anthology. So it's just very like, it's a small little snack and you watch it and it's really clever. And then you don't have to care about the, the characters anymore after that. And then an the episode where like a girl who's like, She's a terminally ill girl and they get some famous singer to come in and for her birthday he's going to sing and he blows up a balloon and he dies and the balloon has his last breath. So they're trying to figure out how to sell his last breath online and it's so dark. And the the way they like, they always have like a twist or something that happens in every episode that just takes it a little more into the fucked up realm. (laughs) Um, And the twist. How could we take this? too far <laughs> yeah exactly but that's that's all this stuff and then the one on the Macbeth one I that I I didn't I should have seen it coming and I yeah. didn't and that I had me kicking myself um but yes and then I started watching a show because I'm really inspired by the oceans movies and I'm sort of concepting an idea for a heist movie of my own um there's a tv show called leverage if either of you know it no it's a heist tv show every episode Sounds is fun. a heist yeah. and it's got Timothy uh Hutton um, the guy from Ordinary People who was nominated and then it's got like a bunch of other actors that you've never heard of. But it's like the team's really clever and it's just heists and they always do like, it is structured like Ocean's Eleven. There's the thing that they did that they didn't tell you about and they show yeah. you in flashback. But that's a really typical heist yeah, movie absolutely. kind of thing. And it's just a TV show. It ran for five seasons and it's a whole heist. Five seasons. Heisting TV show. Ooh, Every episode is a fun. caper and it's really cool. Um, and I've got, I watched a couple of episodes last night and it's fun. I love it. It's a lot of fun. The character's great and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Is there any uh, streaming service? or Not that I know of. We own them on DVD because my sister really got into them and so we just kept buying them for for like subsequent birthdays. Cool. Very good present. Anyway, so segueing in, uh, favourite directors. So I thought we'd like a little structurally different. We sort of pick our favourite director and we go point by point and talk each about what our 
something related to our favorite filmmaking. I'm explaining this terribly. Who is your favorite director? And a bit about them for people who don't know Zane about the filmmaker. I mean, mm. who's Zane's favorite director? Who could it possibly be? I wonder. Well, I'm going to tell you that. This is so suspenseful. <clears throat> it's Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> I would just, I would, sta- I, we, we, I'm quitting the podcast now. <laughs> no, Tarantino. Tarantino is my favorite uh, director. Um, I and I don't know what people wouldn't know about him that he has a foot fetish. Like everyone knows that. What guy? Like I mean, he does the crime, violent films. Is sort of the the realm he plays in, isn't it? Yes, well, he he plays plays the hero versus anti-hero a lot, um, and I guess he's known for his dialogue. Yeah, uh, we'll get into trademarks a little bit later, but uh, yeah. yeah, like I I don't I don't really know much about him. I really just kind of focus on the movie. Yeah, I don't want to know anything about anyone these days. Yeah, like he, was, he dated Sofia Coppola at one point really? and nearly ma- he nearly married her. Mm. That would have been an interesting. That would like, I would have watched couple. the movie based on their lives because that would just be a tonally bizarre yeah. thing to see. I mean, that's the thing. Like Tarantino just dated is Kathy in, Griffin. Is in a. Uh, I'm what? not surprised by that. What did you just say? He dated Kathy Griffin. Oh, that, that, I can see that. Yeah, I can totally <laughs> say. I'm more surprised that Kathy Griffin isn't a gay man. So, yeah. uh, he's very much in like a Patty Lapone realm for me. Like. The more I know about him as a person, the least, the less I think I would like him. Wait, to yeah. do you like Patty? Wait, what I is- like Patty, but the more I know of her and who she is, the less I think. Is we she would like get a terrible along. person? You should. I, sh- I will. I will give you the audiobook masterclass, which is her autobiography, and she reads it. It's like, oh, we would not get along in. Person oh no! At all. Okay. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> Like, I, I appreciate what cool. she does. I thought she'd be really cool. Okay, that's that's, that's disappointing. You're thinking of Meryl Streep. No, Meryl Streep would be fine, but I thought yes, Patty the Pone would be like, she'd be like an unfiltered fucking this and fucking that <laughs> kind of Italian, very Italian. Mm. Well, yeah, that's not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, uh, Chance, to who's your favourite? Uh, so I've gone with two because I hate you both. Uh, but also because I feel like I... These are two directors that I like for two specific different reasons. Uh, so I'm a dick. And also they're two directors that we're very light I on talking points. So to know the time much anyway. about, um, whereas like there's another two directors who are Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi that I know like everything about. And I could talk for days about them, but I think I do that too much. So my two directors are Frank Oz and uh, John McTiernan. Okay. So John McTiernan. Okay. Frank Oz is uh commonly known as Miss Piggy as Yoda. (laughs) He's a master puppeteer who's been working, who worked for Jim Henson when he was 19. Um, And even then he didn't want to ever do voices. Did you ever watch that recent clip that just go around of like the bloopers in on Sesame street? No. Oh my God. Where they keep trying to roll this like drum outside of a shop and they keep fucking it up. And so he's like, and he, he's, the puppet characters are in character, like as yeah. they like talk about the things going wrong. It's re- I'll link it oh, to you because it's fucking do. That great. Amazing. You need to follow Frank Oz on Twitter. He's on Twitter I and he tweets Twitter. quite regularly. You uh, don't have to Twitter. You just have to go on it and read his stuff. Oh, that's too much work. I can't read. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Frank Oz. Uh, what movies is he known for? So he uh, has done my favorite film ever, Dirty Run Scoundrels. Which I still haven't seen. He did uh, The Little Shop of Horrors musical. 
Um, he did the he did the Stepford Wives remake, which not a lot of people do like. Did but you do I one love. of the Muppet movies? He did. He did several Muppet movies. I'm pretty sure it was either Muppet Take Manhattan or the Great Muppet Caper. It was one the of the first those two. Muppet movie. No, it wasn't the first Muppet movie. He was gonna make the remake. recent Muppet reboot until Kermit the Frog was a bad guy, and he was like, "You guys clearly don't understand the Muppets. I quit, and I'm no longer Miss Piggy." Um, but then uh, apparently he would have liked the new one when they rewrote it to make oh, it a good film. God. Um, but, uh, he also did death at a funeral, which is a great oh, movie. Yes, yes. John McTiernan the- on the other hand, uh, is an action director. Die hard. Die hard. Predator. Uh, Predator. All of the great action films. He hasn't made a movie. I think in about. Cause he was in jail years. for tax fraud. Tax fraud. Classic tax fraud. <laughs> a lot of people don't believe he actually did tax fraud and they think that the government's trying to take him down. I didn't read too much about that because. I, didn't he openly admit to it? Like he pleaded guilty. That's what, what they want you to think, man. Lizard people. Lizard people, motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, well, my favorite Shane, who's filmmaker. who's your favorite film? What have you been watching this one? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite filmmaker is, I've talked about this before, is Guillermo del Toro. It would have been. Uh, Spielberg, had you asked me like last year, like at the middle of last year, <laughs> and you it still was- would have been wrong then. <laughs> um, Del Toro is known for fantasy monster creature features. Yeah. He's worked in Spanish language stuff as well as uh, he moved to the US and started making a lot of American genre films. Um, so, what was the first film of theirs that you saw, Zane? Um, I honestly can't remember because I know I know the film that got me like who is this person? I need to look at everything that they've ever done. And that was Kill Bill when I saw it just on a whim at the cinema. And then I saw it several more times at the cinema, but I'm pretty sure I, I saw at least Reservoir Dogs before that. Yeah. Before Kill Bill. So I'm going to, I'm going to say Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Um, and I liked it. It was a good movie. Uh, again, dialogue was great and the action and, and everything was Fun, but yeah, Kill Bill is the one that really got me into Tarantino. See, sweet, because even before I started watching Tarantino, I knew that Pulp Fiction was a thing. Yeah, same. Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction is, is so such a like zeitgeist. It, yeah, it's it's everywhere in in pop, it, everywhere in posters <laughs> yeah. on dorm room yeah. walls, <laughs> just pretty much. Oh man, I think I watched three student films this week that had Pulp Fiction as a poster in the background. It's yeah. Pulp Fiction, Vertigo, or um something like the Goonies. It's literally yeah, one of those actually, three. Yeah. And that, so Vertigo will be all like the wanky people. Pulp Fiction's are like the people who think they're really badass, but they're not. And then like the 80s Goonies ones are the people who are like nostalgia porn. They like yep. Rogue One. It's, it's <laughs> a formula. It's really a formula. Pretty sure I watched the Pat's film Fisty Cuffs and I'm pretty sure Goonies was on one of the posters on the background. His movie's about nostalgia porn. Yeah, good point. It really is. And I know I sought out Pulp Fiction between Kill Bill 1 and 2. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's when I was like, okay, let's see what. And that's when I watched Jackie Brown as well, and that was kind of like, oh, this is a great movie. I, that's the one of his that I haven't seen. And yet. watching Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction is like, it's very. It's like, I think I still think Pulp Fiction is overrated, even though it's one of my top ten films of all time. <laughs> I it's think the it's overrated. I think one. all of his other films are better than Pulp Fiction. Okay. Cool. Uh, Chance, what was the first one? Uh, so for Frank Oz, it was definitely Little Shop of Horrors that I yes. saw first. I, I, I'm actually trying to think whether it was Stepford Wives or Little Shop of Horrors. I think the only one of his Horrors. that I've seen. 
What other the than the, oh no no man. like one of the Muppet one of the Muppet yeah, one I watched of the Muppet all movies, of the Muppet yeah. movies growing up but. um but yeah Little Shop of Horrors uh, have you not seen Little Shop of Horrors no I've seen Little Shop of Horrors yeah, yeah but know. I didn't see it until when I started working in a video store when I was like fifteen or something like that yeah I, I'm pretty sure I saw Little Shop of Horrors because I was working in a theater uh it was one of the subjects at uni I did uh what do you call it uh, sorry at uni in high school it was drama studies or something no not drama studies it was Live theatre and production. So I worked, we did the backstage stuff and we got an uh, internship at, I think it was one of the little theatres around here, ha- Harvest Rain. It was Harvest Rain and they were doing a thing of Little Shop of Horrors. So I got free tickets to that and it was great fun. Um, I really loved that play. So I saw the movie. I saw a version of it on the stage and the direction they had done to try and make it unique is all of Act 1, everything was style, costumes, makeup, sets, was styled to look black and white. Oh, cool. But in person, and then after the act change when the plant's big, it's all in colour. I thought yep. it was interesting, but I don't know how successful it was at doing anything. <clears throat> but. Uh, cool. And, of course, Little Shop Horrors was one of the films that, like, drove me down the path to B-movies because Roger Corman obviously made the first one in two days yeah. or whatever with no money, <laughs> uh, just, like, shooting on a back lot that they already had built. So great stuff. Uh, and then there was, uh, for John McTiernan, pretty sure it was predator i saw predator at a very young age it scared the hell out of me but it may have been die hard i don't know which one of those two but th- those are like the two iconic ones yeah oh wait no it definitely would have been die hard with a vengeance before die hard because i saw the third movie first so either die hard with a vengeance or is that predator. why you think it's better than number no, one? no it's because it is better <laughs> <laughs> we can agree that they're both better than two yes this is true this is because john mctiernan didn't do two um, so the first one I saw of Guillermo del Toro's was Pan's Labyrinth, yeah, which is pretty much one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. But it was really, how I saw it was actually really interesting because I was working in a video store at the time and we got video scripts. So I'd heard about it when I was at uni and it was playing at a film festival. I Hold wasn't... up, you didn't see until uni? No. I no, you no, hadn't no. seen Because I saw Pan's in high school. I'm pretty sure I wrote no, a no, thing about it. No, you can't have seen it at Pan's in high school because it came out in 2000 and, oh no, wait, it came out in 2006. Yeah, it was. Oh no, wait. Okay, no wait. Here's what happened. Yeah, because I saw it in 2007 when I was working at the video store. Came out in 2006. My brother was at uni. Sorry. Okay. My brother's cool. at uni, and About he got say. like a film festival guide, and Pan's Labyrinth was playing there. But because it was unrated at the time, they restricted it to R, and I couldn't watch it in this film festival because he was raving about it. Because whatever reason. Yeah. Um. There is a reason. I'll explain it off air though. Um. And uh. I really thought it looked cool, but I couldn't watch it. I didn't have the rating, so I just had to wait. And then when I was working at the video store, the screener came down. And because when you work at a video store, you get these sort of yeah. screeners, these dodgy, bad, standard deaf things with like big text across it that says, do not copy this. Uh, was it one of the ones it. that turns black and white every five minutes? No, no, no. This was just one where that title would come up every now oh, and okay, then. Oh, cool. Um, it was crappy quality, had subtitles and everything like that, but. And, and everything was kind of great, but even on that horrible quality, it just blew me the fuck away just how good it was and the design. And I didn't get like 90% of what the movie was doing mm. at that time. I just knew it was, it was really, really good. My, my, my first Guillermo del Toro film, I'm pretty sure was Blade 2. See, I never, I watched clips of Blade 1 when I was younger and then I never I watched I keep forgetting you're in a cult, right? Yes. Yep. That's why you <laughs> didn't watch restricted. scary horror movies when you were a kid. Makes yep. sense. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of the director's trademarks, uh, Zane? Violence. Yes. Lots of um, But blood. really kind of like a... Exaggerated. Beautiful violence. Mm. Like the one that really 
comes to mind is like the severed leg flying through the air in, uh, uh, in death, death proof. proof. Yes. Yeah. Because um, that, that, that think image of, has been burnt into my mind. Yeah. I think leg well, and it's because of how that leg gets severed too. It's because it's out. And so it like literally like cuts the thigh at an angle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think when I think of violence, I think uh, when Oren cuts off the guy's head and Absolutely. it just spurts this fountain of blood at the end of the table as well. And then also Django, one, I think one of his deeply profound images is the blood on the cotton. Yeah, absolutely. That was like fucking great. But then you've also got when the bride cuts off Oranishi's like uh, just scalp, yeah, and part of skull, and yeah. you just see that fly. Yeah, so he's like the I get like I don't want to say glorify like the in the aesthetic of violence that he uses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also non-linear storylines. Yep. Uh, and. Chapter dialogue very, scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess like chapters. the more novelistic yeah. structures to his yeah. things, because even on these ones that are very linear, they it's chapter one, chapter like um, uh, is Django done in chapters? Yes. And and something like um, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Mm. And also recurring characters. Yeah. 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 Expanded universe. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't think it is an expanded universe. I don't think it. W- technically qualify but yeah like there are he's gonna do he, go you know through. how he only makes 10 movies and the next one is charles manson isn't it yes yep. yeah yeah his 10th movie is gonna be the dark tower of tarantino films where they all come together <laughs> it's gonna be amazing uh and he's Matthew also known for doing um like like movies are a part of the world in which he does it in yeah. pretty much everything except Django because Django exists before movies. Yeah. Like in Glorious Bastards, he uses cinema to end World War Two. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. in like a very literal sense of the word. They talk about TV and all that kind of stuff. I haven't seen Jackie Brown, so I can't comment where it plays into that. But um, he, he's created a world I mean, that th- is weirdly... So like our world in the sense that theater exists. Yeah. Because like so many movies, it's like no one has seen a fucking movie before. Yeah, and no, in yeah. a zombie movie, no one can say the word zombie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Those I mean, things. once I think he's going to like get peak at that with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Which is the title of his yeah, Manson, Manson one. one. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how I feel about that movie. I'm I'm kind of worried. I was worried. I've been worried about every Tarantino movie that's come out since I started loving Tarantino <laughs> because- <laughs> He treads a line so fine that I know that I could dislike a Tarantino movie and then I would have to question my like of all his other movies. Yeah. I mean, already the the stories that have come out about him and Uma Thurman and just the treatment on set, it's it's already kind of like, yeah, all right, that's terrible. It's terrible. The movies are still great. They're still great movies. Um, My kind of philosophy was that I kind of realized I was like, I can still watch the movie and I can appreciate the craft and I feel a whole lot less bad about just stealing from it (laughs) (laughs) because I don't have to be like, I don't have to pay reverence to the filmmaker. I just say I'd stole that from the movie. Well, I guess that's another thing that he's also known for is homage. Homage. Like pulling from all the Homage on cocaine, really. Yeah, well, like what Kill Bill is just like homage on homage on homage put on a storyline yeah. <laughs> that is itself an homage. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. He pulls it off too because there's so many, I mean, so many filmmakers have come out after after Pulp Fiction hit. Yeah. So many imitators, no one even comes close, no. not even a little because bit. Because he has such reverence for the subject matter that he's, that he's referencing or, or pulling from. And I think and a lot he of- also 
doesn't just simply pull from it. He adds to it or yeah, he, he synthesizes it yeah. within his own thing. And what I think is interesting too, is that a lot of people who watch Tarantino and they're like, Oh, he's really great. I'm going to copy from Tarantino. Yeah. Don't realize that they Tarantino is copying from other people. And so you're getting this really diluted, like mm. artistically diluted voice. He's pulling from people who literally invented that shot. Yeah. And, yeah. That's where I think a lot of filmmakers, especially filmmakers our age, are doing it wrong. Is you need I was to about travel to say, back. Our age, is yeah. The problem. Our <laughs> age is doing it. You need to travel back into where it started. Like I just found out where, like just the other day, the first dolly shot was invented by the guy who photographed Metropolis and also mm. invented the multicam sitcom lighting oh, yeah, formula. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Fran something. I don't know what his name is. Um, but he was uh, the cinematographer. No, no, no. The Damn. cinematographer for Fritz Lang, um, and he invented the first dolly shot, and then he used, and then he brought those dollies into TV, and that's why TV looks the way it does. Oh wow! So finding out just the source of how all that works then gives you a better scope. Of it. And Tarantino has that; he just has this mm. profound knowledge scope, of all of yeah. cinema and television, pretty much. Uh, what are director's trademarks for you, Charles? So, um, so this is where I'm going to get into why. Oh, no, because that's the next thing. So Frank Oz uh, specifically usually deals with dark comedy. They're like very darkly comedic way. And so like in Stepford Wives, you know, the endings are also wanting to be dark. He loves dark endings. uh, What do you call it? Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors Horrors ends with all of the characters dying. And that movie was not going to get released because it rated so low because of that. So he sucked it up, reshot the entire ending, and everyone loved it. And it was one of the b- b- big movies at the time. Same thing happened with um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I don't know what the original ending was, but apparently the original don't ending was it. really dark. If there's a twist. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but the original <laughs> ending was really dark and people didn't like it, so we had to swallow it up and make uh, it a happy was, ending. What was his ending for the Muppets? <laughs> well, oh, man. <laughs> All the Muppets died. <laughs> they got burnt. You know, you know the end of Toy Story? <laughs> Except he went through with it. <laughs> no, oh, um, God. Uh, and a lot of his comedy has to do with reaction. Uh, death at a Funeral is like, Death at a Funeral is like my, is how I learned editing. How he edits for reaction. Every joke, it doesn't matter who is saying the joke, whoever has the funnier reaction to what is going on we look at them Mm, and and so much of what's going on is something really fucked up so it's better not to see the fucked up thing you see how people are reacting to that fucked up thing um that's in dirty rotten Rotten scoundrels and i don't think it's in little shop of horrors but to be fair that was his first venture outside of muppets um stefford wives was one where he kind (laughs) of did get his darker ending Mm. because i at that point he understood that if people like your characters, they don't want to see them die. So he's made this really comedically dark ending that still is kind of positive. It's bittersweet. Yeah. It is bittersweet. It's what I felt like Edgar Wright was trying to go for for all of his films until The World's End, where he actually had a proper bittersweet ending. Um, uh, Yeah, I think that's all Frank Oz. He also does, like, he has very theatrical. The thing I noticed, at least in Little Shop, is he has, like, a quick change happen in the middle of a take. So one of the... The, the characters the walk girls, out. Walk she in. walks out and then she walks. It's the, the three girls, the three sort of Greek chorus yeah, girls. Yeah. And they're, like, street rats. And he does a really clever thing because he has them all there. Then he cuts to, like, a 
thing where only one of them's framed in, but in your head, you're carrying the three of them there. Yeah. She walks off camera. She obviously does a quick change and then comes around the other side in the glamorous sort of 60s girl group costume. And so he does a quick, quick change in the middle of a take. And it's just those kind of like weird theatrical, or, you know, even like the gag, like the um, the guy in the in the window and he mouths the words and yeah. you can't hear it. Those kind of very physical, almost vaudevillian gags. Well, he had a lot of uh, theatre experience as well, directing theatre afterwards, because uh, most of the experience came from Muppeting. He was a puppet dude and he never went to film school, but he learned everything from being on set of the Muppets yep. and being on set of all the Muppet movies. And that's how he <laughs> learned everything. He is very much more of a um, uh, actor based director. Cause I can't think of any like shots or anything that are really iconic of his. He has very classic staging. He has very classic staging, but the performances he gets and the editing is where he's at. Yeah. John McTiernan, on the other hand. All uh, about the shots. All about the shots. Fuck actors. <laughs> he's like, they know what they're doing. I hide them for it. And his whole thing is he never has one shot. Every shot is a composite of two or more shots. If he has an over the shoulder, that over the shoulder is also going to be a close up. The character is going to turn or the camera is going to move. His blocking for action and his blocking for just scenes is so well thought out that none of it is just singular. Yeah. If the camera doesn't move, the characters yeah. do. And that's, all through through all of his stuff, um, the so many great moments in Die Hard with a vengeance, where you know a character will come to screen, he'll turn around, talk to a character behind him. Now it's an over the shoulder. Yeah, that then they'll go into a two shot, and then you're in a chase scene. It's like the one shot. It's it's so well done. Um, he doesn't. So, I was actually noticing a lot of that in the Oceans movies. He does a lot of like, but he does it with uh, in those movies at least. Anyway, he does it with like zooms. Oh, right. And pans and stuff. He doesn't do it with dollies. It's really interesting. He's cool. very 70s aesthetic. Anyway, sorry. Continue. But yeah, the um, he also doesn't use second unit or he stopped using second unit after Predator, which was his first film, because there is a big moment in Predator 1, which is like the first action sequence. And pretty much he got that cut and he's like, I fucking hate this. What is this? This isn't me. This is a shot, something happens, a shot, something happens, a shot, something happens, a wide shot, something happens, another shot, something happens. This is so not what I want. And so he stopped using second units huh. from that. Everything. Tarantino doesn't use second unit at all. And uh, his Michael quote, Bay doesn't his either. quote about it, his quote about it. Well, Michael Bay doesn't because he just does enough setups. But, yeah. they, <laughs> but Tarantino actually there's an interview and he says, anything not shot by me is unsatisfactory by its very definition was his, <laughs> his actual quote that he did. And he got like a big laugh. He was on this panel with like James Cameron and everything like that. And he just like brought the house down. It was funny. Uh, um, is that, so that's those, those yeah, two. Yeah. That's, so, um, I mean, Del Toro, I mean, he's very makeup effects is sort of the one he's yeah. very well known for. He does practical makeup, very detailed models and, and, and creatures um narratively he has very fairy tale structures even mm, on his yeah. more sci-fi yeah very fables with a narrator who talks almost uh on the nose about the theme and the ideas of the thing and then comes in at the end and wraps it yeah. up the shape of water is probably like peak that but um pan's labyrinth does it a lot um devil's backbone does yep. it like uh hellboy doesn't quite does hellboy have a voice hellboy 2 100 definitely does i don't think hellboy 1 the story doesn't no the story um, isn't that fairy tale structure it's, uh uh what's name 
Pacific Rim slightly does it a bit. There's yep. the exposition and the thing. There's the fairy tale with the, the little girl. Oh, wait, no, John Hurt does it. John Hurt does it? Oh, well, then yeah, there, yeah. it definitely doesn't help. There him. we go. Um, uh, and so he's in a fairy tale structure. Strong violence. He uses violence, especially in his more adult I, stuff. I was going to say, almost all three of us have such violent directors in so different yeah, ways. You've got wildly. glorious, beautiful violence from Tarantino. John McTiernan's is very... Uh, not realistic. Popcorn. Yeah, it's high, popcorn. High entertainment violence. Um, and Del Toro is like hard, hard hitting, gritty, realistic, yeah. which always contrasts the fantastic in his stories. Like, I mean, I remember seeing Pan's Labyrinth and the bottle on the nose. Yeah, I was going to say. Fucked that. me up something because I wasn't ready for it. And then she fucking slices his mouth open and then he's sewing the mouth back together i'm like what i what love is this? about his use of violence as well is it's never it's not glorified it's just it is happening it's not like yeah. look at this in a close-up how fucked up is this it's like by the way do you see this thing that is happening it's really gruesome yeah it's happening yeah and it comes from his life growing up in mexico absolutely i, and so I think that's it's so, so fascinating to see where it kind of comes from um and then a thematic idea that is through every single piece of work he does is that the real monsters are the humans always yeah and monsters are gods. And that comes from, he's explained this in an interview, and I think it's really fascinating. He says he had a syncretism growing up, which is where you kind of mix religions. And he was watching these movies and reading these comic books and these stories and stuff while he had a very, very strong Catholic upbringing. And he had a syncretism where the two fused together and the monsters now became his religious figures. So it's just kind of very interesting. And you can see that, you know, shape what you really are a God. Oh yeah, literally. And he dies and, and you know, the the fawn in in Pan's Labyrinth mm. and all that kind of stuff. It's just I I, I love it. Anyway, uh, the Blade so, Two is interesting in that case because like technically the monsters he, are the monsters. He no no he's because he went into Blade Two and his pitch to Wesley Snipes was I'm going to make this movie, but to me the villain is the hero. You're no like like Blade isn't anybody yeah. in this. The the villain I can't remember so, his so, name, but the, the vampire guy. That's his is the this is his movie mm. and. And Wesley Snipes was a, yep, love it, done, you The in. humans technically don't matter. The vampires are the bad guys and the uh, vampires are like these tragic figures. Yeah, yeah. I and really want to see Guillermo del Toro do something like Nosferatu or Dracula, even fucking Frankenstein. He's How- been working on a Frankenstein oh, for the God, longest time. Makes me so but see, James Whale's Frankenstein is actually still fucking great. So, and he really respects that movie. That was mm. sort of the first big one that he watched that he blew his mind. Um, so why are these your favourite filmmakers? Dang. Why, why is Tarantino my favourite filmmaker? Is, is it because, because you love feet? No. Feet are actually kind of gross. Wow. So is that you just close your eyes every time he does those? <laughs> no, no. I think it's because it's the art that he makes a story. Like the 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 way that he puts a story together, and and the way that none of his movies, there's no set formula for a Tarantino movie, other than there needs to be some monologues at some point somewhere <laughs> but that, in there. That's like okay, there's no set movie, it's no formula for making movies except some people talk sometimes. <laughs> uh, but there's a, talking and monologues, like really articulate monologues. I yeah, think are. and I and I but then they're never meaningless and i think the monologues that he puts everything that he puts in if it is if it even if it is violence or a monologue or dialogue or a panning landscape shot it always adds something 
to the movie. Yeah. There's nothing really that's wasted um, or doesn't. And I mean, the reason I love Kill Bill so much is because every scene either recontextualizes something that's come before or totally changes what's, what's ha- going to happen after in the next scene. And I think he tells stories that way. And I think the fact that he writes and directs his movies has a, a strong big, part. Yeah. A big, big role in that, in that his writing is probably the strongest part, but he's also great at actually putting it on. Film. Yeah. Yeah. At, at, at really honoring the script that he wrote. Yeah. And I know yeah. there are some writer directors who aren't actually that good at it. Um, uh, oh, should I name them? Uh, uh, is no. it you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the guy did District 9. Oh, right. Uh, Neil yeah. Blomkamp, oh, no, Neil Blomkamp I think, is a better director than he is a writer, and so there's this weird disconnect between the script and the, the way I the movie I still looks. disagree with you on District 9, but every single argument you made about District 9 was just glaring in uh, equal- In Elysium. Elysium. Yeah. And then apparently, like, apparently Chappie- <gasps> walked out. You walked out. Walked, of walked out. Oh, could God. not take it. Oh wow. Okay. Chanel really wanted to see Chappie, and I kept on putting it off. And I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. So, <sighs> I've, uh, I've since watched it. Glad I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get better. Uh, Chance, why is he? If fa- they your favorite? They are my favorites. Um. So for Frank Oz, it is really his. He has the most perfect plan. I haven't seen anything like this until Reese Shearsmith and um, Steve Pemberton with Inside Number Nine and their TV shows. I can't wait to see them do a movie. Are they doing one? Uh, well, they did the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, but I haven't seen that. But I think that Frank Oz is such a master of this dark comedy that's not like it's not like try-hard dark comedy. It's just darkly comedic. Yeah. Um, as I say, you know. He made my favorite movie You laugh movie and then ever. you kind of feel bad about laughing. Exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, Death at a Funeral, especially seeing Death at a Funeral using the exact same script with two different directors really shows how talented of a director and how restrained a director Frank Oz was because that yeah. script is so fucking ridiculous and what makes it work is that all of the characters are so proper and British and like, oh my, whoa. Like the, um, the whole- And that's why you get Chris Rock in there. Chris Rock oh, would make God. that so funny. Uh, have, you, have you seen it? No. Nah. So the gay panic joke in- You've seen the original though? Yes. Yeah. The gay panic thing of their dad is done like, he sees it, it's like, oh God, uh, uh, and that's it. And it's like a small moment. Chris Rock is like, ooh, Daddy, and he bites his thumb. I'm like, what the fuck was that? What the shit? Oh, oh it's it's because it is the exact same script. Uh, it had yeah, small yeah. rewrites from Chris Rock and Martin Lawrence, but I think that was more um, just improvising. Yeah, improv. They were improvising. I've I've read both scripts, and they're the same except names and thing. It is credited as uh, what's his name? Craig, Craig Daniel, Dave, David Craig, Craig David's Daniel Something Craig. Like that. I can't remember his name. It's Craig and a D word. He's one of my favorite authors, uh, things, but Dick. I don't know his name. Um, but yeah, he really knows how to work comedy, right? John McTiernan, on the other hand, is what he makes action. It's not flashy like Michael Bay. Michael Bay makes everything look epic. John McTiernan makes everything 
I don't know. It just feels right, you know. He ha- there's a lot. He gives it momentum. He gives it momentum. Michael he, Bay has a lot of stuff happening, but nothing happens in reality. Yeah. Whereas John McTiernan's stuff happens. It's it, it builds it, it. So it's like stuff happening, and then more stuff happens, and it's like a consequence to this. And every shot is so. I just like it. Yeah. And just like well, <laughs> that's kind of like what I'm about Tarantino. I'm like. I just like it. Yeah. Yeah. I just like um, it. With me, with Sp- uh, Del Toro, it's interesting because I think up until recently it would I would have had to say Spielberg. Yeah. Um, and again, you would have been wrong. <laughs> uh, but I think the part of what's tipped me over is that Del Toro, well, A, Del Toro I think has a much stronger filmography. I think Spielberg has a couple of things that, re- and, and you can't be that prolific and not make a turd every now and then. It's not possible. Whereas Del Toro is maybe a little bit more selective. Um but I think part of it is listening to Del Toro and Del Toro's way of articulating how cinema works. Yeah. I don't think prior to Del Toro, because even someone like Tarantino, he talks about movies, he talks a lot, but he doesn't actually articulate why this shot here and this cut here makes this work mm. like that. Del Toro can articulate that. And prior to Del Toro, I think Alfred Hitchcock was the only one who could actually articulate why the cinema works the way it does. And so that's kind of tipped me over a fair bit, um, along with The Shape of Water. I think The Shape of Water yeah. just was such a good movie. Um, and I think what makes me really love him is his range from the really, really intimate to the really grand spectacle. You go from like Pan's Labyrinth to Pacific Rim. Yeah. You cannot yeah. find a more, one is such an intimate scale movie and yet both feel epic in their own, emotionally epic. Um I think it's and and then also just the 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 monolithic level of detail he puts into every single shot, every cut in the cloth, every stitch, every color, every crack, every drop of water is there for a reason, yeah. and he knows the reason, and it works. It doesn't feel forced and wanky, like the his color palettes, especially. Yeah, sort of really. His use of shapes, uh, that was the thing that struck me about watching Hellboy and because I'm pretty sure Hellboy and uh, His ovary shapes that come into it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth really showed me how you can use shapes in storytelling. Uh, And and because that was, I think I, because did they come out 2004, 2006? Uh, Yes. 2006, no, no, Pan's Labyrinth was before Hellboy 2. No, but Hellboy 1. Oh, Hellboy 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, Hellboy 2006. 1. Yeah, I believe defining. it was something like that. <laughs> yeah, because w- Hellboy 2 was 2008 because we were graduating at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, those two movies just showed me so much. And like every, every single film since, and even going back to Mimic, because I uh, Mimic, I can't even remember why I saw Mimic, but I didn't realize it was the same director at the time, but you still see so much of him in there, even if he hates it. Yeah, I think with with Doug his James. with his work, in his work, style is substance mm. and form is content. Uh, I always bring up my favorite quote was from the Pacific Rim uh, commentary when he was like, I don't do eye candy, I, I do, do eye, eye protein. protein. Yeah, oh, and it's just so great. So what... What's your favorite film of theirs and your least favorite? Zane, oh, I feel like we already know this answer because you've answered it. But <laughs> yeah, well, Kill Bill one and two, uh, my easy answer though. Death Proof. Do you, does you consider them it. as a single text? Don't yes. you? Yeah, I do yeah. too. But a lot of people are weird about. And if people make me pick one, I will pick. I will pick the first one. Yeah. Um, just because it's just so perfect. Yeah. Um, but Death Proof really does rival it. I remember I didn't like Death Proof for the longest time until we, you and I, and like a bunch of other people, went and saw the the, the Grindhouse double. Yeah, yeah. 
and I saw it on a cinema for the first time. I'm like, oh, fuck, I get it. This is one of his best. And yeah. I think it's precisely because he was his own DP on that one. Yeah. yeah. That made it a little bit more, it felt more intimately Tarantino in a very weird way. Because Well, it was a smaller yeah. sort of story. Um, but also every time I watch Jackie Brown, I in between watchings, I forget how good it is. And then I watch it again. And I'm like, oh, this is great movie. Yeah. Um, I still haven't seen it. It's on, like it's literally the top of my pile. Look, just, last time I told you to put Godfather Two to the top of the list, put Jackie Brown above You'll Godfather Two. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and least favorite Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I mean, it's is there just, anything particular about it, or is it just because it was so iconoclastic to everyone else? I think the performances don't do it justice. Um, I think Bruce Willis specifically, yeah. isn't great in it. I don't particularly like John Travolta in it either. Oh, really? Um, yeah, really. That was his comeback movie. He got an yeah, Oscar nomination for it. Um, Samuel yeah, Jackson I, is Samuel I, L. Jackson. Yeah. Uh, like, it's a great movie. And I, it's, I, it's still it's one of my favorite time. movies of all yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, yeah, I, I think he didn't have as much control um, over the outcome of that movie that he has in every subsequent yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chance to... Cool. So for Frank Oz, my favorite movie is unsurprisingly Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> uh, I still cannot articulate why. Uh, it's just whenever I watch that movie, it touches me deep in my soul and I love it. Uh, his least favorite movie uh, for me, because I haven't seen in and out or House City yet. Is in and out the one about like the teacher is like... Yeah, gay and all he's that gay. kind of stuff. Yeah, and then, but then like he's like outed by a student or something like that. No, Did well, Frank Oz direct that one. Yeah. He's he's still in the closet inside himself until the very end. Oh, right. Okay. Everyone else knows he's gay, and he's doesn't. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to see, see that. It. Okay, who's yeah? Okay, uh, so uh, was it Kevin, Kevin Klein? Yes. Yeah. So yes. I I haven't seen that, so I can't make a judgment on that or the house sitter or what about Bob. But uh, oh, also he um, co-directed Dark Crystal. I did not realize that. Oh wow! I just looked at his IMDb then. But I'm going to say my least favorite of his is probably The Indian in the Club Cupboard. Uh, huh. Did he direct? He that directed one. that one. I never liked that as a kid. Yeah, it, it, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But I remember watching it. I think uh, what was that other small toys fighting? Th- toy soldiers. Pretty yeah, sure they both soldiers, came out around yeah. the same time. And I think because toy, toy soldiers is way better. Yeah, it was so much more fun. Whereas any of the cupboard, I do not remember. John McTiernan, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, it is a fine line between Die Hard with a Vengeance and The Predator. No, not The Predator, sorry. That's Shane Black's film. Predator. <laughs> Predator. Um, but his my least favorite of his is so easy, Rollerball. Yeah. The 2002 the remake. remake of Rollerball. Did he direct Roll? Holy shit. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that felt... And, and, like, I've read since, like, it was really meant to be, like, a satire, like, the original and all these ways, but it just felt... You remember my friend Harry? It was his favorite fucking movie. That's that's how I will describe that Jesus. movie. Jesus. Okay, yep. Say no more. Yeah. Say no more. Uh, for me, uh, my top... It's, it's. I mean, number one is probably Pan's Labyrinth. It, yeah. But my top three of his are Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. We, we can do top three. No, no, Bow because finger, I need to describe... Uh, Little Shop Hot. I think his movies are so very different. Like, Pan's Labyrinth and Shape of Water are pretty much hey, for me. Hey, okay. Can I just say that both my favorite and my least favorite of Tarantino's work <laughs> are all in my top 10 movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, 
And I really actually really loved Crimson Peak. I yeah. really loved it. And I think it doesn't get the love it deserves because everyone thinks it's meant to be a horror film and it's not. Um, my I, least favorite is... I don't think any of Tarantino's films really are a single genre. No, they um, never are. I mean, Django's a Western. Yeah. Hateful Eight is a Western whodunit, but like he has the overriding genre, but he works with subgenres is his thing. And he talks about, mm-hmm. it, he says, you know, there's, uh, it's not a war movie. It's the bunch of guys on a mission and that's yeah. his subgenre movie. So it's not like a, you know, it's not the fairy tale. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, Shape of Water is the falling in love with yeah. the monster kind of thing. Or, and Pan's Labyrinth is like the girl discovering her herself yeah i just love the fact that uh pacific rim is a sports movie yeah pacific rim is a sports movie dressed up with giant monsters and he specifically watched sports movies to prep for it um my least favorite matches up with guillermo del toro's least favorite is mimic obviously and it's purely because you can tell so abundantly that the studio interference on that Mm. movie was insane but what's really interesting and he said this and it was so true and it's what you mentioned before is that he says when he sort of rewatched it to do the director's cut of it, he said the narrative wasn't there. There were things that weren't there, but his sort of the covenant he had with the visual language of the film, the way it was shot was still there. Yeah. And you can tell that you can see Mm. that in like, especially just in the rain, like when you first sort of see the the, the cockroach person that's seen the imagery that he does, it's so, I mean, it's so iconoclastic like iconic, not even iconic, classic, iconic, because he's very mythic images is his big sort of search mm. in, as far as cinema. And you can't go past something like in Pan's Labyrinth when the the pale man puts his hands to his eyes and yeah. opens them up. That is just there. You can picture it so clearly in your mind and that's, that's sort of another thing I love about him, I guess. Um, but the colour is there and all that mm. in Mimic. It's just it's lacking in a lot of yeah. other ideas because he was interfered. I know Robert Rodriguez was even the second unit director on it. Oh, really? He brought in Robert Rodriguez to help oh, that's awesome. do second unit stuff on it. And the only reason he wasn't fired from that movie was Mira Savino kept sticking up for him because she loved him as a director. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Are there any of their films you haven't seen? Nope. Have you seen all the ones that he's like written but didn't? Most of them, yeah. And most of the stuff that he's produced as well, like uh, Hero and... Man with the Iron Fist. Yes. Yep. All of those. um, (laughs) I've seen all of them. Uh, Luckily, like Tarantino has a very finite uh, body of work. Yeah. So um, it's not hard to see it all. And it doesn't hurt that they're all goodish. They're all very up there as far as quality goes. Chancer? Uh, yeah, well, like I said, I haven't seen In and Out, uh, which I'm really upset about. I do really want to see it. I'm pretty sure it might be on Foxtel now or something. I'll give it a watch. Maybe tonight. Who knows? Um, Who knows? And also, you know. House of What About Bob? Uh, I can't remember if I've seen Muppets Take Manhattan. I feel like I definitely That's the one where have. Gonzo's trying to look for his family. He's like the main theme of the oh, story. Oh, then yeah, I've definitely seen it. Okay, cool. Take it's that It's where back. they do the, the um, oh, what's the... Uh, everybody, uh, there's like an like, uh, iconic song, uh, the iconic party song that was used like in the late 2000s. Fuck, what was it? Oh, well, that who let the dogs out? No, 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 party ooh, song, ooh, like ooh, everybody, ooh. something, something. Anyway, I just remember they used it very much. Amorosi's Everybody, absolutely, no, no, absolutely, everybody, everybody no, 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 everybody. no, I know the song, it's that's not it, I'll remember it. In a tick, um, and John McTiernan, uh, John McTiernan, I haven't seen the 13th Warrior. Uh, which is Antonio Banderas, and he's like seems to be like in some medieval getup. Sounds awesome. I'm really upset <laughs> I haven't seen this. Uh, and I haven't seen The Medicine Man from 1992. I've heard about this because that's Sean Connery, who's a medicine man. Um, 
and Basic, which was his last film in 2003. Before he went to jail. Yep. Uh, I know he has recently done a ad for... Uh, He's trying to raise funds for a new one, isn't he? Ooh, what? A new action film. If I had money, I'd put it in. But He's I desperately have trying to get back into it. Oh, please do. Like I, I said, like Hollywood took him down because he knew about the lizard people. Probably, I don't know. I'm, pretty, I'm sure this, uh, what do you call it, theory that Hollywood was trying to take him down may have some gravity to it. I just saw it and I'm like, ugh, conspiracy theory. Ignore. Yeah. Um, for me, Kronos is the only Del Toro one I haven't seen yet. I think it's really me. hard to track down. There's, it's on DVD, but I want to see it on like a high quality one because I know there's some prints and that aren't great, like the transfers. Mm. Um, and there's like a Blu-ray, a Criterion Blu-ray of Kronos that I really want to watch that one because it's one of his foreign language films as well, and it's his first one. He doesn't consider it his first film because he's still learning. He considers Devil's Backbone to be his first film. Love Devil's Backbone though. That's a great one. Um. But yeah, it's a decent. It's it's hard to come by, which is why I haven't seen Kronos yet. Um, is there stuff that they've done outside of movies? And what are your thoughts on their stuff? No, I don't, don't really know. And it's going to do literature, film literature, what? eventually. Eventually, I probably won't pay any attention to that. Oh, really? I don't know. I don't, okay, I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not like Tarantino and You're everything. That he's done. I just yeah. like the movies. Okay, <laughs> like that's the thing. I. I think that's why I don't have a problem separating filmmakers from films. Like yeah. why I can still watch Woody Allen films separated from all the terrible things that Woody Allen has but done. But the real question is, why do you want to watch a Woody Allen film? Because they're not that. Some of cool. them are funny. The old ones, very- the pre-finger-fucking-his-daughter ones are actually pretty good. But... One could make an argument that finger-fucking his daughter made his movies a lot less interesting. I mean, I don't take that into account when I watch a movie. <laughs> I mean, and uh, so, yeah. What if what if it is a movie that can specifically, like, explores themes of finger-fucking your daughter? Like, then like, like what's the one he did with Larry David? Yeah. The one he did with Larry David. Pardon? The one he did with Larry David. I have not watched that movie because, again, since I've learned about Woody Allen, I have avoided his movies. Because I don't want to watch them in that context. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Chanster. Um, well, as far as uh, Frank Oz goes, I mean, it's not movies, but he's been doing, uh, not directing, but he's been doing acting for years. He started as an actor. You know, he was a Muppet man. He, he played Yoda for fuck's sake. Um, I did just find out he did play Yoda in The Last Jedi. So that was. What do you mean you just found that out? I assumed it was maybe like the There's like fucking- a whole thing about him going onto set and operating the puppet. He was operating the puppet. Oh, really? And everything. That is great. Oh, that they built me deep that inside. hillside yeah. on a soundstage so that he could be under it operating Yoda and doing the voice live oh, that's with so Mark good. Hamill. And Mark, there's a scene where Mark Hamill goes in there and he sees it and he starts like tearing up. Oh, uh, that is that is excellent. That documentary on that Blu-ray is fucking amazing. I still amazing. haven't watched that documentary. Okay, that's why. Cool. Um, but otherwise, yeah, he's like acting. He's doing all the voices everywhere. He was in Zathura, I guess, just scrolling through his IMDb page. Uh, he was in Inside Out. Uh, he's, Who's he voicing in Inside Out? Uh, he was one of the subconscious guards. Uh, he was in, he was Yoda. He was a Has lot of Yoda. he created anything like books, TV shows? Look, music for he's Sesame done. Street. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He, he's, so he's done um, a bunch of songs for the Muppets and Sesame Street and stuff like that. Okay. Um, 
That's all. I feel like with Del Toro is probably like the best one for this question though. Yeah, he did the just, strain. Well, he's done Troll Hunters and he did the mm. book and then yep. the TV show. He did the strain, the books, and then the TV show. I've started watching Troll Hunters. It's fun. It should have like I wish it was like a big movie, but apparently it's like really big and epic. And he's doing like three more spin-off shows, and there's one called Wizards. So I'm so there for that. Cool. Um, I'm not surprised. And they're a big connected universe as well. He's just he's just booked a Netflix. He's doing an anthology horror anthology, a Black Mirror horror. Oh, that'll be great. For Netflix. I'm so sold there. Um as if a produce- I didn't already have a Netflix subscription, yeah. I would buy yeah. one. Let's get uh, let's get a second one. Just, just for kicks. Yeah. Um, and just see, dear Netflix, I bought this for Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to him, please. Um uh as a producer, he's started the careers of filmmakers like AJ Bayona, who did the orphanage and that's the one he produced, but then he's gone on to do, he's doing the new Jurassic world. world. He did uh, the impossible. He's done a lot of things. I, I, this is one of the reasons I love Guillermo del Toro is because, because of mimic. And I'm glad mimic happened to him because he was like, well, fuck producers. I'm going to become my own producer with blackjack and hookers. (laughs) And he started so many careers because of it. It uh, Andy Muschietti. So the reason why we have it as being as good as it is, is because he started, produced mama yeah. based on he got sent a short film mama he loved it so much he made the feature film he funded for like 18 million dollars yeah got funded with jessica Chastain. it was a huge hit it was a sleeper hit of that year it's a really good movie i really love that movie and then andrew machete had a long break of trying to find his next project ended up replacing carrie fukunaga for it became literally the highest grossing horror movie in the history of all time. And Andy Muschietti is now set for life. Um, uh, he produced Rise of the Guardians. He's the reason why Rise of the Guardians became a movie. Oh, wow. Well, um, Del Toro, he produced a movie, an animated movie, a lot of animated, because he had, he had a, a contract with DreamWorks. And that's why he did uh, that. And he did a couple of others. He was like a story consultant on fucking one of the weird ones that I thought was really weird. But um, he produced a movie called The Book of Life. Which is one of my Love favorite life. animated. It's kind of Coco before Coco. Yeah, it, and it, I think it's way better than Coco. Mm, I think they both exist in, in, in. They're both fine movies, but Book of Life, I think, is much more deeply profound from an artistic point of view. I yes. think Coco is a narratively yeah. as excellent, but I think artistically, Book of Life is yeah has absolutely. much better decisions made behind it. Um, and they all all of those projects are in line with the kinds of movies Del Toro makes. Yeah, but they each have the stamp of the voice of the filmmaker that he was heralding he didn't try and impose his own thing he just found people who were into the same things he was and then gave them their own voice which is just phenomenal um have they influenced you has the filmmaker influenced your work i mean like you worked in theater but have you sort of taken anything from his stuff and recontextualizes it i have not cut off any legs in any of my theater productions yet, yet. <laughs> yes, can't wait for the uh, next version of have you ever uh, considered, Todd, Todd, have you ever considered film Mm-mm. I don't know enough about it. I don't. I don't know enough about the technicalities of it. I don't know anything about anything. Speaking as having been on people's sets where they like they don't watch enough. I think by the sheer virtue of the fact that a you know actors and b you know uh, movies, you would be able to direct circles around so many other people I've met. Yeah. But, Keep in mind, you have a DOP. You've got a. You've got a lot of technical people. To deal with the technical That's, a, that's what Tarantino's thing is that he's like, I don't know how to make a good shot, but he had a meeting with Terry Gilliam at the Sundance Labs. And he's like, I don't know how to like light a good shot. And Terry Gilliam said, you don't need to know how to light a good shot. You just need to be able to tell other people what it should feel like 
and it's their job to know how to do it technically. Right. So what you're saying is if I make a movie and it's terrible, it's everyone else's. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Correct. Because when you're doing theatre, if it's good, it's the actor's fault. If it's bad, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, Chancellor? Uh, well, as I said, the... The editing in Death at a Funeral is one of the reasons why I'm an editor. That the way he shows comedy for Frank Oz, sorry, is has definitely influenced me. And the way I, I am not nearly as good as what John McTiernan does, but I love what he does, and I always try and do it. And then you know the bu- uh, the budget, the fucking schedule never allows you to, and you're like, okay, we ch- we'll change it. Yeah. Just a close-up, it's fine. Like, keep in mind, that's exactly how he's faring and his decisions are made on the fly based on schedule changes. That is changes. true. So I'm not as good as John McTiernan. Um, for me, I think, like, a lot of the active influence of Del Toro has happened only kind of recently. I think with my feature film, I really tried to put in colour coding based on things that I heard him say in, in Pan's Labyrinth and in all that, and I really tried to colour code costumes and, and ideas that way, I, I think it was so lucky that the theater you had had that big, colorful background that you were able to change, change it the whim. color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was such so a great. Well. Um, oh. uh, his his approach to color is one that's kind of stuck with me for a while now. But um, uh, recently, the idea of uh, form as like like all these interviews he did with the Shape of Water really kind of shaped how I want to go moving forward with my movies and really approach the form as content. Um, And also the creation of mythic images, indelible imagery that really solves it. Cause he just, in the way he was articulating cinema, it got me thinking about cinema in that way. And I'm like, Oh, I can take that and I can really elevate my own work in the places where it kind of maybe has fallen flat in the past. Well, I mean, Del Toro is such a great person for exactly that in that he does articulate and he spreads his knowledge around. Yeah. And you see that like he picks people and he he helps them and he he elevates their work and tries to give them voices as well. Yeah. Whereas like Frank Oz, like he exists in the world and you can examine him and try and figure out something like Adam Tarantino. You can look at his work and he does talk a lot about it, but Del Toro knows so much about exactly why he does every single thing and yeah. he can tell people that yeah. so he's something that and there are some, really influence. There are some great phenomenal filmmakers who actually can't really articulate it. Uh, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson, is. I've seen interviews, long ass interviews, and he never gets around to articulating why he made a decision the way he does and he makes really indelible, phenomenal decisions mm. but he doesn't always articulate why and I don't think he can and that's nothing wrong with that. But Del Toro is really good at that part I, as I well. I think we're lucky to have Del Toro. I know. Del Toro in our, I'm so lucky like, to be living in a us, world with Del, like be existing in a time when Del Toro is in the middle of making movies. Yeah, I think he's really, really good. And like, he's so visible and accessible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. even on Twitter, he has like book recommendations on Twitter, and I've just been like adding them and movie recommendations. I literally visited. I found the the Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Um, Filmmakers who did Spring and right, the Endless yeah, Nap because of Del Toro tweeting about it. I am it. not surprised now because <laughs> you came over and told me all about these guys and I'm like really excited to see their stuff now. I am not surprised you found out through Del Toro. Yeah, yeah. And he's making me want to go and revisit ones that I necessarily didn't. He's he's really champions uh, The Counselor, the Ridley Scott movie, as oh, really? being underrated. And I'm like, okay, I never watched it for the first time, but I need to go back. I, and I, I do love vaginas on my, you know, windscreen. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Oh, good. Um, and then another big theme, and this is one I've kept, and it's probably because growing up I saw some things that probably 
not necessarily line up with, but mimic things that he may have witnessed is the idea of humans being the true monsters. Yeah. Uh, that's like, that's in law. Like every time I've written something fantastical, like I've avoided horror specifically because to me, the humans are the bad ones, mm. like a direct horror. And so, yeah, uh, we're going top five now. We'll finish this up with our top five uh, directors. Uh, we're going to top five directors we love, but don't talk about very often. Uh, so I, think, I thought it'd be interesting. Um, I'll go through first really yeah, fast. Yeah, go through first. Oh, 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 I thought this would go a lot shorter, but uh, my honourable mentions, as I mentioned before, Steven Soderbergh. I really yep. need to go back and watch more of his stuff. Gore Verbinski, epic mm-hmm. visual, visual, such a visual filmmaker yep. and doesn't get enough credit. Paul McGuigan, he did Push. He did a lot of episodes of Sherlock. He's done a lot of pilots, Scandal, Luke Cage. He's, it actually puts a lot of style into TV. Frank Darabont, yep. he hasn't made a bad movie. Timo Beck-Mambatov, visual Matthew Vaughan, I've talked about him a bit before. My top five, I've got uh, Liz Garbus. She's a documentary filmmaker. Phenomenal. She's uh, Bobby Fischer against the world. What happened, Miss Simone? She's got a new series coming out about the New York Times during the Trump presidency that I'm dying to cool. see. Really, 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 really great documentary filmmaker. Number four is Mike Flanagan, horror filmmaker. His weakest movie is his first one that he made with no money and everything else he's made since is so strong. Visual. He's a very visual filmmaker. Uh, I got Robert Zemeckis. Yep. I need to see more of his stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he's way more groundbreaking than anyone gives him credit for, and they give him a lot of credit for groundbreaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but something like Death Becomes a like fucking. Yep. Uh, number two is Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes mm-hmm. is a really interesting filmmaker because he almost goes under people's radars, but he also makes really great movies. American Beauty, yep. Road to Perdition, Jarhead, Skyfall, Skyfall. Like he's he's very big range. And the number one is a filmmaker. I don't talk about anywhere near as often as Robert Altman. <laughs> Unless you talk to you like I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Talk to me. But Robert Altman is known for doing these big ensemble casts. Everyone kind of talks at once and the camera kind of zooms and roams. He's, I think the reason why I don't talk about it is because he's a very inimitable, inimitable filmmaker. You cannot imitate him. Unlike you can imitate Kubrick and make it your own thing. Yeah. You can't really imitate Robert Altman and make it your own thing, which is really, really sort of speaks to how, almost singular he is as a voice. Um, but his film is really great. Nashville uh, from 1972. I want to say 1972, absolute flat out masterpiece. One of the best films ever made. So uh, really, really interesting filmmaker. Cool. Shanster. Yes, uh, I'll go f- next then. Um, so uh, two of them are the two I spoke about today, John McTiernan and Frank Oz. I always talk about Frank Oz's, I always talk about the editing in uh, Death at a Funeral. But other than that, I don't really talk about Frank Oz to people uh, when I talk about directing. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, I talk to you about Shane and I'm glad that you're here because you actually, <laughs> whereas like other than the protein line, I never talk about del Toro to other people. Um, George Clooney, uh, who I really think is an underrated director. Not enough people know the stuff he does and how right? well he does it. Good night and good luck and yep. uh, confessions of a dangerous mind. So good. Crazy He's good. One of the best actor turned directors. Uh, ben Wheatley. Uh, I know you didn't like I don't Free Fire. Love his stuff. But I do. Yeah, <laughs> but I also don't talk about him that much. And Wes Craven as a horror director. Oh, yeah, he he's he was so groundbreaking in horror, and then he became so bitter and cynical that he just made satires on the genre he practically created. I yeah. love seeing how his career has grown yeah. and how his but style But he also has did grown. a great thriller in Red Eye. Oh, no, he did. Uh, Red Eye. Absolutely. Uh, it's just and really. Apparently uh, the, the one he did with Meryl Streep is really good. But then it's like a drama about music. Oh. 
I haven't uh, heard of this. The one she got an Oscar. Oh, I say the one she got an Oscar nomination <laughs> oh, for. Florence Foster Jenkins. No, 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 no. Um, the music, like the, the and she's like a music teacher. I'm just trying to think of literally anything else uh, Meryl Streep was nominated for. I feel like I should know. It's this, like a Mr. I'm- Holland opus esque title, but anyway. Cool. So my top five. Uh, number five is Brian De Palma. Um, I always think I, I have don't not know seen anywhere near how. enough of this stuff. Oh, nor have I, because there's so much of it. Yeah. But I don't know how I always forget how good he is. And like even watching the first Mission Impossible, I'm like, holy shit, this is such a well-constructed film. Uh, number four is Catherine Bigelow. Uh, yeah. Just love what she's done. And I, I'm kind of glad she took that like 10-year hiatus to come back with fucking bombs in the ground. What's it called? <laughs> Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker. Good old Hurt Locker. Um, bombs in the ground. Good old Bombs in the ground, you know. Um, but music, classic sorry, movie. just to clarify, Music of the Heart. Ah, oh, yes, 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 yes. I will have to see this. I have not. The drama um, by Wes Craven. But yeah, uh, also Catherine Bigelow doing fucking, what is it? Topless shirty guys surfing. Point Break. Point Break. Good old Point Break. <laughs> Topless surfing guys <laughs> surfing. Yes. Almost as good as Bombs in the Ground. <laughs> that classic movie. <laughs> Um, number three, Jonathan Demi or Dem. How yeah, do you pronounce Demi, his name? Jonathan no, no, Demi. Demi. Jonathan Demi had such a style. And it's so invisible until you realize it. Exactly. And, and when you realize it, you realize how confronting it's been. Yeah. Uh, fucking. <laughs> God damn it. Tom, Tom Hanksy Ains one. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Tom <laughs> Hanksy Ains. Is this a bit now? Is it, you just doing the bit? The Tom <laughs> Hanksy Ains bombs in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Philadelphia. <laughs> that film was just so <laughs> confronting, and I don't Still haven't feel seen like it yet. any other director could have pulled it off as well as Jonathan Demi did. And of course. Silence of the Lands. Silence of the Lands is the only film I talk about. And that's because I love the book and he is literally the only director who has been able to do and Yes, okay. I haven't seen the TV show. Fuck you. Yeah. I'll watch the TV show. You should watch the TV. You like the TV show. I know I'll like it, but now I know that they only made three seasons and I'm upset and I can't start it because I'm going to want Better more. than one season for fucking Fireflies. Good so point. Sh- um, number two, Robert Zemeck- Zemeckis. Yeah. I, uh, that man's blocking is insane. The way he... Has the characters in the frame, the move. I know I, I watched this great uh, video essay on Back to the Future and how, like, they just broke down everything he did in this one shot. And it's like, we learned so much from this one and shot. And he's known for br- groundbreaking visual effects, but they never are just like, look at this cool thing. Exactly, yeah. Which is so rare. So, yeah. so rare. No, absolutely. And number one? Number one is George Miller. George Miller, first off, his dollies are insane. Just going in on the face, going in on the face, going in on everyone's face. It is so great. Yeah. Uh, but also his range as a filmmaker. Happy Feet, Witches of Eastwick, Fury Road. Yeah. No one has a range like yeah. that. Well, I don't know. Mad Max and uh, Happy Feet, I can see the similarities. Oh, but, they're shared universe, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, but like Babe and fucking Witches of Eastwick, it's yeah. just... He didn't do Babe 1, he did Babe 2, didn't two. he? I thought he did both. Babe 2, Pick in the City. No, he didn't do 1. I While Zane goes through his, I'm going to IMDb. Well, I feel that I'm the least qualified for this list, so I've got very few. I've got three honourable mentions and then my top five. Now, e- e- the, the actual wording was filmmakers that you like. Oh, okay. So Chris Noonan did Babe. Sorry, all of mine are, are directors, have directed, but I kind of got into like looking for titles that I want and then 
trying to find connecting names. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, so I've got into a little bit of an animation wormhole. Ooh. Um, but my two, George Miller and Soderbergh, they're on yep. my honorable yeah. mentions, as well as Tim Burton. Yeah. I really love Tim Burton. Um, I don't talk about him because he's... He's now so known yeah, for Well, he's just like a... He's a trope now. Yeah. Uh, so You can have a Tim Burton-y movie. Yeah. Which is why I which, love Ed Wood so much because yeah. it's not a Tim Burton movie. Have you seen Big Eyes yet? I haven't. I, have I want not. to. Yeah. I, it's good. I own it it's, on DVD. It's and one I of his it. least Tim Burton movies, but his use of color in it is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. So top five: uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Anderson. Yep. Yeah. I don't talk about, but I love. He's almost a trope now too. Uh, again, yeah. Uh, Brenda Chapman. Now she was with DreamWorks. She did. She directed. Uh, Prince of Egypt, but she also worked on uh, Little Should've Mermaid, just said the Moses Beauty and the Beast, one. Lion King, the Moses one. Yeah, you know, Prince of Egypt. You know, Sandy Desert People. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy Desert People and singing Mariah Carey. <laughs> uh, but she okay. she worked on Chicken Run, and but she directed Holy shit. Brave. And she was the first yeah. woman well, I to was going to say this is Brave, isn't it? Yes, because is, she directed Brave. Um so then, continuing on that line, Brad Bird. Yes, he's uh, such a good. I don't film talk man. about him, and I always forget about him. But he's like he wrote "Batteries Not Included," and that is the one movie I want to be rebooted. I want. Oh my a god! Batteries Not Included. Yes, 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 yes. Because that movie doesn't hold up now. But gosh, I loved it when I was a kid. Same. Same. Though. Pardon. Tomorrowland. I liked that one. It was flawed, but it was really good and flawed. Yeah, it was made for, like, people decades younger than me, I think. He also made the best Mission Impossible film, Ghost Protocol, so. And uh, uh, The Iron Giant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, (laughs) you know, what can you do? Uh, And then number one, very simple, John Lasseter. Cool. Yeah. From Pixar. So another one of those filmmakers who's become yep. problematic since. Oh, sure don't tell is. me that. What have I missed? He's quitting uh, Pixar at Why? the end of this year because he fucking harassed people. God damn it. I think I think what we're discovering is that to get ahead in the film industry in the last you have 20, to 30 years, harass people. slash as long as the film industry has existed, you had to be a pretty bad person. Like you can be a bad person and a super intelligent, creative genius, but still. Yeah. Got to be a so, bad person. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Brad Bird and John Lasseter were, I was, which was high because, you know, batteries not included, Iron Giant, but then you've got Toy Story and Toy Story 2 and like yeah. those are just yeah. like the best. So mm. yeah. Yep, that's my list. Oh, cool. Well, that's really good. Thank you, Zane, for coming on and filling in for Josh. Uh, thank you for people for listening if you want to find us on twitter and instagram we're at picture rangers and you can rate give us a rating and review on itunes uh, and you can follow me on twitter at shane m underscore anderson you can follow me on instagram at the chance star that's c-h-a-r-n-s-t-a-r i realize i've got a weird name probably should have spelled that from day one mm. yeah zane but it is spelt like it sounds no but i've got a soft r so a lot of people think like it's chance star but it's uh. charn star like charmander like charmander yeah uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at zane c weber 
Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. And you know who's a good dire- director? Sh- Red Shane Kernel. Red Kernel. <laughs> Available on Vimeo On Demand. Use the code Picture Rangers for 20% off your rental or purchase. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.